The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. set you free. How you doing? I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Only true democracy in talk. And thank you for listening to us everywhere that you listen, because we are broadcast everywhere, not just live and, you know, streaming and all the usual players, you know, uh, what is it? You know, iTunes, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, also podcast. And of course, you can watch us on LinkedIn Live, Facebook Live, uh, YouTube Live, uh, Twitter's Periscope, Uh, The list goes on. We're glad to have you with us today. And we're also glad to have Scott Paul with us. Scott's been on the show before. Good to have him back. He's president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, the AAM. The AAM is a partnership established by some of America's leading manufacturers and the United Steelworkers Union. For over 16 years now, Scott and the AAM have worked to make American manufacturing a top-of-mind issue for voters, and obviously they have them. We have a bipartisan infrastructure deal at past, finally, and our national leaders through effective advocacy, innovative research, and a savvy PR strategy. You might have been watching them if you watch C-SPAN um, or uh, check, check in line who is testifying uh, on the Hill or who was at a committee or a hearing, uh, they're very present. Uh, they just were as of late. And uh, I, I posted that. So I, you know, I, ho- I posted tidbits of that. So I hopefully uh, you'll, you know, take a peek there if you haven't already. Check out their website, AmericanManufacturing.org. On Twitter, you can follow the AAM at Keep It Made in USA. We really should. And we wouldn't have that supply chain issue. And Scott Paul, follow him at Scott Paul. AAM. Scott, thank you for joining us. Uh, welcome. I'm glad you're feeling um, better. Uh, we were just all talking about, you know, how everybody's getting, you know, COVID. If you haven't had it, you know, it's going to hit, you know, somebody. I think someday we won't have to quarantine because everybody will be like, oh, I've been there, done that two, three times now, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, th- thank you, Leslie. And yes, public service announcement, take it seriously, get the vaccines and the boosters if you haven't, uh, and do best practices. So it's not not something you want to get um, or, or pass along to anybody else, perhaps. Um, yeah, maybe kissing the president wasn't such a good idea, Scott. I'm joking. I'm sorry. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> I was uh, I have plausible deniability there. I was far, far away from uh, from the president. At the time. So, <laughs> I and, do know and, that. Recover swiftly as well. Yeah. You know, all joking aside, the AAM is nonpartisan, but I'm partisan. I'm a Democrat. And I know there are Democrats and others who looked to Democrats, whether it was the election of Joe Biden, election to people who have the control of the House and the control of the Senate, um, you know, although with the tiebreaker by the vice president, uh, there are disappointments coming out uh, from the Democratic Party. And there are those out there, including yourself and the AAM, who say Democrats who made promises in certain areas really need to step it up. And uh, let's talk about and I want to break down and talk about the Democratic Party being in the process of 
committing three errors uh, politically that'll hurt them with voters, that will hurt jobs, that will, you know, could hurt the economy and certainly could hurt their chances, many of them, for re-election. And, and that's breaking it down to infrastructure, climate change, or climate, and uh, competition with China, right? Uh, China competition. Um, they're like, you know, like I mentioned, there are political ramifications and implications to this. There are policy ramifications and implications to this. Um, so let's start with infrastructure. Um, yep. I've heard from you guys that Democrats have another infrastructure problem. Americans hear this, they see this, they read this, and they go, wait a minute, Scott, what are you talking about? You know, President Biden and Democrats, you've got some Republicans on board, passed a bipartisan infrastructure deal. How could they have another infrastructure problem? But they do. So tell us about that, what yeah. it is and why. Yeah. It's so, so so the problem is no one knows about this. No, no, no one knows that a landmark piece of public investment, probably the biggest public investment we've seen since the New Deal, which is obviously a big deal. Um, it's It's been, you know, about 90 years since that uh, passed uh, with bipartisan support and is going to infuse uh, our infrastructure with uh, $1.2 trillion worth of upgrades. And let, let me talk about the politics of this and why it's important, because, you know, Democrats are doing well on some issues that are important to college-educated voters, okay? Like uh, on, on the issue of choice, uh, I, I think, is, 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 a, is, a, is a very good example there, or uh, marriage equality, or protecting basic rights like that. And um, but the challenge, and, and these are these are all they're, they're on the right side of this, and it's a good thing they're on on the right side of this. But the challenge is, you're not going to win an election with college-educated voters alone, okay? And and the sheer numbers are this: you know, most Americans will never get a college degree. You know, sixty percent or, or so will, will will not get a college degree, and so you don't want to just write off that sixty percent of the American population. You're not going to get everybody, but but what what that 60% cares about are a lot of these kitchen table issues. Like, what is the future of our economy going to look like? Am I going to have a job? Is it going to be well-paying? How about my kids? What's their quality of life going to be? Are we going to be shipping jobs overseas? Are we going to be keeping them here? Are we going to have uh, the opportunity to grow as an economy? And that's something that the infrastructure investment provides. And so the fact that this took so long to get done, Leslie, mm. right? I mean, we've been talking about this for a long time. And finally, you know, a Democratic president got this done uh, with a Democratic Congress and some Republicans along the way. Um, and, and, you know, this, this money is starting to go out the door, uh, and it's for roads and bridges and broadband and making sure we have clean water uh, and upgrading our ports and doing all sorts of other things uh, that we need to do that, 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 you can, that you'll be able to see with your eyes the tangible results of this. Uh, but but there, virtually no one knows about it. I guess that's the thing that is so upsetting is that, and this is typical, and I'm not just going to blame Democrats here, but it, you, too many in the political class say, oh, we got this done. Then they put out a press release. They do an event uh, you know, they, they, at a bridge, right? And then, uh, then they move on to the next issue. You know, If I were in office right now, I would be talking about all the great stuff that the infrastructure is doing every single day because there will be more people getting high-speed internet. There'll be better roads. There'll be more jobs at construction sites for all of this stuff. And those are well-paying jobs. And unfortunately, just the, I mean, that's, that's the thing that gets me. 
25% of voters, that's it, uh, you know, think that this got signed into law and is happening. Uh, and, and virtually all of them support this. Like 80% of voters support this idea. But only 20, you know, only, only one in four think that this actually got done. And, and just as many think that it didn't get done. So that's what I, I just, you know, I, I shake my head sometimes. But so you, have to, you have to just keep repeating that message uh, and getting out there every day because this is something that is transpartisan. This, this goes across party lines. I mean, everybody wants better infrastructure. Uh, and so Democrats have to hammer that. And I'm glad that this poll came out, the third way and a, and a pollster did. Uh, and I hope everybody, everybody on Capitol Hill and the Biden administration reads it uh, and really, really takes it to heart. Absolutely. Third way and impact research. Um, I have been saying this for a while. And, you know, you got to scratch your head when your approval ratings keep going down, but gas prices are going down. Yeah. Uh, the job market is stronger. The unemployment rate is the lowest it's been and continues to be. Yes, inflation is 9.1%. They're not sure we're going to enter into a recession. And some people think we may be over that bump. So you got to say, why are your approval ratings so low, whether you're the president, a House member, or a Senate member? And I agree with you. It's messaging. You don't just, you, you know, I'm not seeing in the headlines, look at this landmark piece of legislation and look what this will do to the economy. Look how this will especially affect each and every one of you specifically in your household. What are, the, what are people saying? Inflation. And, and by the way, most people don't even know really what inflation is or how it affects yeah. them. You know, I mean, I don't think there's a poll out there. I just think based on people I talk to, <laughs> they really don't know what it is, you know, or how it affects them. So I agree with you 200% on this because, you know, you can't blame it on right wing media because CNN and MSNBC are actually saying the same thing, which is here are the low approval ratings. Right. You know, and um, you, you got to get out there and you got you got to not only put your best foot forward, you got to put your best accomplishments forward. This is a huge accomplishment. You talk about you and I talking before you and I even knew each other. Infrastructure was a ball that got kicked around like in a soccer game between Democrats and Republicans. And you're right. Only one guy did it. And that's Joe Biden. And he's a Democrat. And Americans need to be reminded of that, of what this $550 billion infrastructure bill has in it and the job creation and the potential and the improvement to the investment of our economy. I, I agree with you spot on with that. We're gonna take a break. When we come back, we're gonna talk more. I'm Leslie Marshall, he's Scott Paul. And like I said, check out the website at aamamericanmanufacturing.org. Follow them on Twitter at Keep It Made in USA and follow Scott at Scott Paul AAM. I'm Leslie Marshall, we'll be back right after this. Marshall, welcome or welcome back. He is Scott Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. You can follow the AAM 
at AmericanManufacturing.org. On Twitter, follow them at Keep It Made or check out the website, AmericanManufacturing.org. My apologies. On Twitter, follow at Keep It Made in USA and follow Scott at Scott Paul. Uh, AAM. Um, we're talking about Democrats missing the opportunity and needing to step it up in three specific areas. That's infrastructure, climate, and competition uh, with China. We were talking before the break uh, um, about uh, infrastructure. And I, you know, I before we move on to the next thing, Scott, anything else that you want to say about that? Because, you know, it's just a win win, like you say, politically and otherwise, especially in light of this poll where, you know, two thirds of voters don't even know about the legislation, landmark legislation. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that's right. The, the last thing, Leslie, I would say, and I'm just going to go back and make this political point again. I mean, people who are tuned in the news and who are watching like the January 6th hearings or what's happening uh, with with abortion, a woman's right to choose, or all sorts of privacy laws, and with the Supreme Court, I mean, obviously, I th- I think to those voters, Democrats are doing very well, right? I, and 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 they should because all of that is under attack. You know, democracy, these rights. I I think the challenge is is that that does not reach every American, and the you know the people who are work working paycheck to paycheck who punch the clock in the morning, take a shower when they get home from work, uh, they have concerns in addition to that. And, and I think that's the population that's not getting reached. And what matters to them? Again, good jobs, good wages, and the, the frame of issues that I'm talking about is a good way to reach that. Uh, and so it's, it's important, I think, for those leaders uh, to keep their eyes on the prize here and to understand that uh, you can do both. You can talk about protecting the rights. Uh, you can talk about defending democracy, and you can talk about having a strong and resilient economy. And you should do it every day. And you should do it till you're sick of hearing yourself doing it so much, where you can say, "I'm not. I I cannot stand to listen to this one more time." You got to do it a hundred more times after that uh, for for people to pay attention. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's move on to numero dos, and that is climate. Um, there was a defeat of legislation, a climate bill. Um, The uh, first solar incorporated CEO, Mark Widmar said that this is um, a a blow to US solar production. So first of all, talk about the collapse of this legislation. What was the legislation? Why did it collapse? And what does that collapse mean? Yeah, yeah, Leslie, this is the, you know, this was the the Build Back Better uh, kind of part two that uh, Joe Manchin announced that at least for the time being, uh, he's torpedoed, right? And, and so yeah. they may come back and do this, and they may do a, a healthcare portion of it, which, which could be very helpful. Uh, but the major new investments in uh, climate and in, in social infrastructure as well, uh, you know, he indicated he, he wasn't wasn't particularly interested in in, in pursuing it at, at the time, and and that has consequences. Okay, and and one of those consequences is that we're going to see investment in uh, the jobs of the future uh, go to other countries instead of the United States. Now, we'll still put in solar panels. We'll still put in wind. I mean, that's the direction that we're headed for a lot of different reasons. Um, But, you know, instead of manufacturing that equipment in the United States, we'll be depending on China and other countries for that. And that means we'll be foregoing jobs. And we'll also have to answer some really sticky moral questions about supply chains and, and products that are made with forced labor and what have you. And, and so First Solar 
is is a company that has operations around the world, but it's one of the few companies that actually makes solar panels in the United States. And they basically said how it was. It's like this bill had a lot of incentives to manufacture solar panels in the United States. You know, we would have located a factory here. A lot of other folks would have located a factory here. Now they're going to send their investment overseas because there just isn't that incentive. And other countries are incentivized their producers to come uh, to come make the stuff, uh, whether it's in Mexico or China or Korea uh, or Taiwan uh, or, or even in Europe. Uh, and so uh, I think that the challenge is that we know we're transitioning our energy sources from fossil fuels to renewables. Uh, and, and that is unquestionably a good thing for the planet. Uh, the question is, you know, are we going to reduce our dependence on foreign supply, which, which I think is a big deal. You know, we, we've had to worry about OPEC for so long, and renewables will give us freedom from having to ever worry about the OPEC countries again. Right. But instead, we'll have to worry about China. And are we going to get the, the 90% of supplies, the solar panels that come from China? And so we should, we should be making more of those here. This bill would have done that. Manchin sunk it for the time being. We have to find a way, I think, to try to get this back on track after Labor Day. Mr. Widmar said, uh, quote, where we sit now, there is no policy. There's no direction. There's no indication for anyone to invest here in the United States for solar manufacturing. I would imagine you agree with that statement. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and again, this is an unforced error. This is this is where policy uh, could drive uh, massive new job creation. Um, and and so there was a lot of hope, uh, and, and I had a lot of hope at the beginning of the, the administration, and they've had some really, really good policies. Uh, but but to have, you know, one senator, and obviously there's a whole bunch of Republicans, Leslie, too. I don't, you know, they should not be absolved of, of blame here. Uh, but I think Democrats know they needed to stick together on this. Uh, and so finding a way to get Joe Manchin to yes on this, I think is going to be very, very important because I, I don't think that Americans are going to, again, buy a message where you're transitioning our energy sources, but we're, we're going to be depending on China uh, instead, of, uh, instead of the OPEC countries uh, to, to fuel our, our future. Uh, and and that's, not, that's not the best trade-off. It would be nice to uh, put these decisions into our own hands and, and to create jobs uh, at the same time, I mean, we're going to have massive solar expansion in this country, but but not in the manufacturing sense. Uh, and, and so that that is indeed troubling. And and also for those who are more progressive, whether they're Democrats or they're independents, um, you know, a President Biden has goals, has climate change goals. The Democratic Party does. Many Americans do. And um, the lack of a domestic supply chain for solar panels uh, is key, right, to achieving the president's climate change goals. So, you know, it's it's not like you can go around this or work around this at all. Yeah, that, that's it. That's exactly right. Uh, and the two do go hand in hand. And I think this is, again, something that the administration understood very well to achieve your, your climate goals for carbon reduction. And again, that's a line that's going down like this, right? Um, I mean, right now they're going down, but they're going down at a very slow rate. But to get that really steep drop, uh, you have to have the right policies to both supply the equipment and to make it affordable and to have a supply chain that makes sense, and also to make sure that consumers, utilities, and others want to implement this stuff, whether it's electric vehicles or solar panels or, or wind energy or what have you. Uh, but if you if a part of that policy is missing, uh, if that supply part is missing, 
uh, that creates major, major challenges. And so now we're going to be dependent on supply just coming from a region of China where we know there is forced labor and a genocide, mm. and we know the stuff is made with coal-fired plants, the, the, the base material, the polysilicon. It makes no sense. So, so no. We get We're hurting stuff. people and the environment in, in, in one blow, right, there? <laughs> that, that's exactly yeah. right. We can do a we're lot of that. Lesson. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the third prong of the Democrats needing to step it up in their problem. Don't go away. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Scott Hall is president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. He joins us today. Keep in mind, you can go to the website for the AAM, AmericanManufacturing.org. A lot of important information there, uh, not just uh, conversations we're having here and information you're obtaining uh, from listening or watching Scott and I today and other times he's been on, but a lot more information, including places that you can actually buy products that are made in America. Speaking of, on Twitter, follow them at Keep It Made in USA and follow Scott at Scott Paul AAM. Scott, thank you for holding welcome back. Well, we talked about infrastructure. We talked about climate. So now let's talk about China, specifically China competition. Um, it would seem that there's an idea of tough talk on China. We heard it from Donald Trump. We've heard it from presidents, Democrat and Republican presidents. But this particular Congress, which is a Democratic controlled Congress currently, you know, uh, having a majority in the House and having the vice president, the tiebreaker in the Senate, um, it seems that they have a dream. And some people would say it's a fantasy if they're not going to act on it um, of confronting China um, and how it really got gutted um, there. Lawmakers really had set out, had a goal to overhaul the policy between the United States toward uh, Beijing. And, um, it, you know, it, it would seem that they're beyond falling short, settling for billions of dollars uh, for domestic computer chips, uh, science, uh, scientific research add-ons, which a lot of people would say, hey, isn't that a win-win for China? Where is getting tough on China? Where is the confrontation uh, with China? And, and how did this all come about? Um, so could you please uh, speak to that and bring people up, educate them on what is going on for those not paying attention to China? Because as you know, some people think, oh, well, that's over there. And what happens in China doesn't affect me. But it does very much so affect each American household and certainly every American voter. Yeah, that, that, that's right. And, and I would say just more broadly speaking, and, and we know this, that, you know, voter awareness, uh, you know, average Americans – do have concerns about China? Uh, I mean, they, you know, they 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 see that it's impacted their jobs, or that you know, it's not a democracy. They have problems with their their policies, uh, and so there's a great deal of skepticism, uh, by and large, among both Democrats, Republicans, and Independents about like the role of China on right. the world and how it plays. You know, what they don't see is is Congress doing anything about it. Right, going back to the infrastructure, uh, where Congress actually did something about it, and we're still not seeing it. But in this case. You know, Congress set out last year to pass a bill, and the, and the Senate did pass a bill uh, that would both boost money to bring semiconductor manufacturing back to the United States, because we remember hearing about all the shortages of semiconductors and how it was uh, delaying car deliveries and lowering profits for companies and, and raising costs for all of us to get everything from, like, Xboxes to, you know, to newer used cars, right? And, and so... 
this was a major issue. And, and the U.S. used to make about almost one out of every three semiconductors that was produced in the world. Okay, we my, my brother, my brother has a chemistry degree, but yeah. he works in a chemical engineering capacity. And with the exception of now, he worked for semiconductor companies his entire career until the jobs kept being shipped overseas yeah. because we weren't yeah. making as many as we used to make. Yeah, we, we so make your it. point exactly. Yeah. I know this. And this, so so an example, yeah. this really hit home for me. Yeah. I saw my brother lose job after job as more and more semiconductor plants closed. Yeah, it, it is so true, Leslie. And I'm glad that you mentioned that because there, there's a real, in addition to like a competitiveness and innovation toll, there's a real human toll to all of these. And Correct. these are good jobs, very, very good jobs. Yes. Uh, and so we make we, we make about only eleven percent of the world's semiconductors right now. We consume about twenty five percent of them, and so we're importing a lot of these. And again, they're coming from China or from Taiwan, which you know may end up in a in a geopolitical struggle too. Uh, and so there was money to bring some of this this back, the semiconductor production back to the United States because it's not easy to start up a you know to build semiconductor plant. It costs billions of dollars, and so there was money to help offset some of those costs. Uh, and also to deal with some other aspects of China competition, uh, including trade policy. But again, here's something that never got across the finish line. Democrats in the House passed one version of it. I like that version a lot because it was very tough on China on trade policy. Uh, and so they've been trying to reconcile these differences since February, uh, beginning of March. Uh, right. and, and, and Mitch McConnell has put the brakes on it. Um, and now it looks like it's going to get jump started again, but it's going to be a much more slimmed down version of it. Uh, and, and I'm glad, and I'm glad you said. That. I'm sorry to jump in. Yeah, yeah. Talk about how slimmed down, because you know, for me, just looking brief, briefly, um, th this what does this accomplish? This accomplishes putting together something that Democrats and Republicans can go home and say, well, we passed something before right. we went on summer break right. and it was on a bipartisan level, but is it slimmed down so much that it really doesn't, I mean, a lot of people are saying, where's the benefit here to the United States, right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And just, you know, I, I will just say this, and we are nonpartisan, but I'll say, you know, Donald Trump, for, for all of his many, many faults and kind of disqualifying himself from for, for, for future office, uh, in so many different ways, uh, at least got the, the the issue that, you know, China is a problem that has to right. be dealt with. And he was really the first president to say that. He was right about that. Didn't have a perfect approach to it, but he, he at least set the table for that. And, and Biden agreed with him, views China as a real problem here. And then, you know, there, there was this effort to have this robust and comprehensive policy change. Uh, to deal with China. And, and it's, it's more, again, it's more than just money for semiconductors. I mean, that is a piece of it, but that's not going to solve all of the challenges that we have uh, with China. And so it needs to be a bigger effort and, and much more well thought out. But, but kind of, again, partisan politics are getting in the way. The, the Senate's like, well, we want to do this favor. We want to do that favor. The House is like, no, we got to be tougher on the, on the trade policy, which we agree with. Uh, and, and so this may stall the bill out or make it, again, dramatically smaller. And this will be unquestionably, if it passes, a good thing for the semiconductor in the industry in the United States. And that's something that, that we can be happy with. But it is not a China competition bill. It is not going to say people aren't going to be able to snap their fingers and say, you know what? The world has reset and we're on equal terms with China now. That's not what it's going to do. Because uh, every single firm guarantee on those tough on China provisions 
is part of what got cut out in slimming this down. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and here's the rub is that a lot of the multinational companies, the global companies that have business operations in China uh, are like, you know, not so fast. You know, we don't want to pull out of China. We don't want to have to do that. We make way too much money there. Uh, and, and so let's not be as tough uh, on China. Um, and, and again, this is this is the wrong approach. We have seen what dependence on foreign sources like China has, has done to us, what it did to us during the pandemic, what it's done to us on semiconductors. And so I'm not saying that we should throw a wall around the country and keep everybody and keep every good out. We should not do that. Absolutely. We should have a, a lot of trade. We should have a lot of immigration. But we also need to have better guardrails when it comes to China. And we simply don't have that right now. And it's going to leave us behind in the dust and with very few options uh, if we're not careful. And, and I just, I'm going to bring the Russia-Ukraine conflict into this because there was a lot of concern that the Europeans had about this conflict you know, because of their dependence on, on Russian oil, right, that, that impacted their willingness to help the Ukraine. They got to the right place and they've been changing, but we don't want to be in a position as the United States to have our limits optioned if we have to make really tough decisions about how to address policy with China in the future. And and one thing that makes it tough is that in some cases we get 90% of our supply for a lot of key goods uh, from China. Right. Mm-hmm. And we have to find a way to flip some of that around uh, or we're going to end up with not a lot of great choices uh, in the coming decades. Leslie. You know, and both Democrats and Republicans are, are not happy with the slim down version. Some of them, uh, even if they're, you know, holding their breath or nose and voting for it. Uh, Senator Todd Young, he's a Republican from Indiana. And he said, quote, this place is the land of missed opportunities. He spent yes. nearly two years on a larger effort to boost U.S. competition with China. And there's a couple of things here. First, I don't think America, uh, two things, Scott. Um, it, I know we have limited time, but we can talk about this when we get back as well. Um, so the, the, the first thing is China wants to be the dominant manufacturing power in the world. They're doing something about it. They have a patriotism surge with regard to manufacturing in China like they, that nobody has seen before in recent years. Why don't Americans want that? And why don't American companies want that? Wouldn't it be a win-win? I'm going to make up your Smith company, right? And, and, and you sell semiconductors. Well, don't you want the headline to read that you brought your factory back, you created thousands of jobs because more companies and more people are going to buy stuff from you if, if you're the hero in this. And this is how you can be a hero, especially like you said, when we're only creating 11% and we're consuming 25%. We'll take a break. When we come back, you can answer that uh, and speak to that and more. I'm Leslie Marshall. Scott Paul is our guest. We'll be back with him and with you after this. Go to the website, AmericanManufacturing.org. Follow him on Twitter at Scott Paul, AAM, and follow AAM at Keep It Made in USA. Back after this. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. We are back on Leslie Marshall. Scott Paul joins us, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Check out the American Manufacturing Alliance for American Manufacturing website, the AAM's website, AmericanManufacturing.org. And on Twitter, follow the AAM at Keep It Made in USA and follow Scott at Scott Paul AAM. Scott, thank you for holding. Welcome back. I asked you 
um, before the break when it came down to China. Um, uh, a couple of things here. Um, why would politicians want to slim this down? And why wouldn't corporations want to be the heroes and bring the jobs back without Congress holding a gun to their head, so to speak? Yeah, yeah, it's a great, great question. So, so obviously politics play a role in all of this. And the closer you get to an election, and there's an election in November, um, I, th I think the deeper those divisions get, e even where there's an agreement in both parties that something needs to, to, to get done. Uh, and so I think there's a little bit of that partisanship uh, at play, uh, obviously. N number two, I, I think a lot of corporations, uh, again, um, you know, want the message of like being patriotic and being American, uh, want the profit margins of making stuff with low cost labor and no environmental controls in China. And, and they want to continue to have it both ways. And, you know, they have unfortunately an outsized influence on policy decisions uh, in, in Washington, D.C., among uh, Republicans and Democrats. Uh, and then they're also counting on consumers to kind of be complacent about this because, and we've talked about this before, you know, we are a consumerist, you know, uh, price-driven, uh, deal-finding, deal-loving, uh, bargain-shopping culture uh, in the United States. And, and we are 5% of the world's population, but we consume 25% of the world's stuff. You know, we buy so much crap here. <laughs> and, and so... I, think I know. Have you been to my house? <laughs> <laughs> I think those companies are like, you know what? They're so dependent on Amazon and and, uh, and Walmart and everything else that, that they're not going to care much about this, even though it could put us in really dire straits in terms of jobs and some geopolitical decisions we have to make uh, in 10 or 15 or 20 years. Uh, and it's also not helpful with respect to the climate, I would add, because that production in China uh, you know, climate and, you know, CO2 emissions are going up, uh, you know, dr dramatically. And so we have to uh, we, we have to do something about it. But but, you know, we've had I think the good news in all of this is, I mean, we've helped to organize a campaign at least to get like 50,000 people to contact Congress to say uh, the, the tough trade stuff needs to be in this bill. It needs to be right. more than about semiconductors, as important as sem semiconductors are. And they are important. Uh, it needs to be better than this because because I think we we both know that Washington pays a limited amount of attention to stuff and we're not we might not get two bites at the apple yeah right and no. so so we got it we got to get yeah, no absolutely uh, yeah we got to get as much done as we can um I, I want to talk about tariffs because you know people are like you know should we there's conversations you know leave it as it is lift the tariffs impose more tariffs. You said lifting tariffs would be, quote, ill-conceived and inherently flawed. And you said that before the International Trade Commission. Um, so explain to people, you know, why you think lifting the tariffs would be ill-conceived and inherently flawed. flawed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be, I'd be happy to. It just, again, by way of background, the last administration imposed tariffs of 25% on some products coming from China. 25% on a lot of steel coming from a lot of different companies and countries, 10% tariffs on aluminum coming from different countries. And nobody buys, like you don't buy steel, I don't buy steel, none of us buy aluminum, but but you, you, you know, a lot of people do buy some products from China. And so 
uh, th this does have a, a bit of an impact. But if you measure it out, you measure it out, the actual effect of like taking those tariffs off uh, would be a 0.2 or a 0.3 percent change in the inflation rate. The inflation rate is largely. That, that's what I want to ask you. Sorry to jump in. Yeah. Do you think it's whether it's a politician or even a voter? is the perception as opposed to the reality that Absolutely. lifting the tariffs would fix or would help inflation, would help to improve inflation. Yeah, it's, it's one of the few things that the Biden administration thinks it could do. And I would call it like inflation theater, right? Because it looks like it's doing something, but it's actually not really right. doing something. When, as, as you pointed out rightly, gas prices are coming down. Uh, you know, the, the CPI is probably seen as high. It's going to come back down again. Part of the reason why it's up is because we do have these globalized supply chains. And when there's a bottleneck somewhere overseas, we end up paying more for it here. Uh, and so one of the solutions is to bring more production back to the United States. Which is what we I, I agree with you. I mean, I live in L.A. You know, we got the ports, right? Yes. We have all those containers and then people yeah. are like, we don't have all the trucks to get stuff off the containers and things yeah. are just sitting in the containers. And I'm like, well, they wouldn't be in the and sorry, I don't want to give the guys at the ports and take away their jobs uh, yeah. and the gals. But, um, you know, if we didn't buy so much crap made in China and bought, bought more crap here, because like you yeah. said, we're only 5% of the world population, but we're 25% of the, you know, consumers of junk, largely <laughs> junk, um, right. you know, uh, th then we wouldn't have a clog, you know, cog in the wheel because we would have changed what wheel, you know, we're, we're yeah. buying from. Uh, also lifting tariffs, I mean, common sense, it benefits China. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It, it would hand uh, Xi Jinping, the Chinese Communist Party, a big victory when they don't deserve a victory at all, right? I, I mean, unfortunately, their behavior has not been good. They cracked down in Hong Kong. There's a genocide against the Uyghur Muslim population in Western China. They're threatening Taiwan. There's a lot of cyber hacking that goes on. And, and so in no way are they being collaborative or cooperative with the United States. And just the perfect visualization of, of kind of what's at stake here, and you talked about the port, and I think this is important, well, whether it's in L.A. or Long Beach, an interesting exercise. You see the ships come in full of the cargo containers. You see how low they are in the water. When they leave those cargo containers, when they leave the port, those boats are riding a lot higher because they are empty. And we want to fill them up. We, we want to export goods from the United States to other countries. And yeah, we don't want to have the deficit that we've had for years. Yeah, that, that's what the challenge is, is that we need more of a two-way street here. But now it's mostly a one-way street. And so we will, you know, it'll become more of a one-way street if you take those tariffs off and it won't do anything to help consumers, what it will do, again, is help the Walmarts, the Amazons, all these companies that are doing very well right now. Uh, and they even acknowledge, the head of the National Retail Federation even said, I don't think consumers would see any impact from a tariff cut, you know, because the retailers would, would pocket the margins uh, that they'd be getting from that. So it's just... I, and that's what I testify. I testified at the international. Well, I want to bring that up. I want I wanted to toot your horn for you. Um, the uh, International Trade Commission hosted a three day hearing on the impact of Section 232 and Section 301 uh, tariffs on U.S. industries. And uh, Scott testified on behalf of AAM. And he explained, if you watch, because I played clips, you did a great job. Um, it, you talked about the trade enforcement measures are a key part of that effort to combat the predatory pra trade practices 
of China and not just China, but other countries as well. Can you speak to that? How the tariffs, because, you know, you've talked you've talked about, you know, how lifting them is bad. Um, you know, but let, let's talk about what does it do? It, yeah. Is it in a way keeping a thumb on China? So uh, although they do have predatory practices, it curbs yeah. some of them or cuts down on some of them with these tariffs in place. Yeah, th- th- that's a really, really good question. And so Here's what's fair to say about the tariffs, that you know, for many companies, for some companies that have chosen, that have said, you know what, these tariffs in China and, and with the political risk in China, I'm not sure I want to be, be there. Um, and so they have caused a lot of companies to look at sourcing. Some of those companies have said, you know what, I'll shift it to Vietnam, I'll shift it to Malaysia. Some of the companies have said, I'm going to source it back to the United States. And so how do we know this is working? Because within the last year, we saw a 116% increase in the construction of new factories in the United States, the amount of money being spent on that, which is an unbelievable surge and something that probably a lot of people never thought would happen again, that that kind of era was behind us. And so it is driving more investment into the United States. And it does give us a little bit of leverage with respect to China. Because, yeah, the, the, the Chinese don't want those tariffs on their products. And, and what we need to say to them, well, look, change your behavior, let more of our products in. We'll be happy to consider it. But until you do, they're staying on. So it gives us that leverage point. Consumers really haven't seen the impact. And in some cases, it's caused reshoring. And in the case of the steel industry in particular, it's caused a massive amount of new investment in steel mills in the United States, uh, an industry that had been left for dead. Uh, maybe a decade ago. And so they have been successful uh, in many important ways, Leslie. That was the message I delivered to the commission. I'm glad that you mentioned Section 232 had zero impact on consumer prices because, of course, that was a concern as well. Scott Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Check out the AAM website, AmericanManufacturing.org. Follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Paul AAM and follow the AAM at Keep It Made in USA. We should, folks, buy stuff made in the USA. Where do you, can you get that? Well, go to at Keep It Made in USA and go to AmericanManufacturing.org to find out all about it. I've learned a lot from that and changed my consumer habits as a result. I hope you will, too. I'm Leslie Marshall. Scott Paul's been our guest. Have a wonderful weekend, Scott. Always a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you, Leslie.